how you're doing out there. I was in the front, I couldn't see where you guys were jumping around and doing all that sort of stuff. Hey, why are there chocolate lollies down here? Are they for me or? They're like, I mean money, right here. I, I see chocolate lollies, I don't see money there. I don't know about you, but they're chocolate lollies. Well, it's uh, fantastic, seriously, to be back from a refreshing break. Uh, Jess and I and the kids had a really great time. We've only literally just got back. We got back uh, fairly late yesterday and I've uh, hardly sort of heard anything, walked straight back into things. And uh, as far as I know, everything's gone fantastic, which is real tribute to a great team that we have. So thanks to the team. Um, also, I love Kids Blitz Super Sundays. Just goes sort of without saying. When all the kids have run out now and they're, and they're doing their thing up there, you know, it, it's all about reaching out into our community. It's about being the church we're supposed to be. But you know what? Beyond anything else, it just says something to our kids. And I just appreciate us as a church, all of us making space like that, being silly, running around, doing, doing the things that we do. It says a lot to our kids. Our, our kids were away and they fi- found out while we were away that Kids Blitz Super Sundays uh, started this week. They were so excited to be back at church. And, and I think that speaks a lot. So thank you to... Uh, you as a church for making space for our children as well. It's fantastic. But we're starting a brand new series today. It's called Strapped. We just saw the little video intro there and it's all talking about uh, how we manage our man- money. And, and I'm going to start with a question, sort of uh, loosen things up a little bit here today. Just put your hand up if you could do with just a little bit more money. Put your hand up if you could do with a little bit more money. Maybe you don't have enough money, you could do with a bit more. All right, keep your hands up. If your hands are up, look around at the people without their hands up and get a loan of them after the service. They are buying coffee because my hand was up. All right, fantastic. Dave Ramsey, who is a great teacher of money, he says, money is fun if you've got some. Don't you love that statement? Turn to the person next to you and say that. Money is fun if you've got some. Say that to the person next to you. Money is fun if you've got some. The problem is, a lot of people don't got some. Isn't that right? Huh? It's not a whole lot of fun because a lot of people don't got some. Put your hand up if you've ever done something dumb with your money before. A lot more hands are going out this time. Now keep your hands up. Look at the people without their hands up and say, you have an honesty problem. Alright? Because we have all done something dumb with our money, absolutely every single one of us have all done dumb stuff. Here's one of my dumb things that I've done. I remember buying this crazy deal on late night TV. I don't know if you guys have ever done that. It was fantastic, this deal. It was all like the 100 best movie tracks of all time, all right? And it was fantastic. It was this incredible price. It was like Rocky and Star Wars and the Beaches soundtrack. Actually, Dan, you you might want to borrow it after. Sorry if you're new here. It's a bit of a a, a problem that Dan has. He loves the movie Beaches, that's all. But it was, no, seriously, it was the top 100 movie soundtracks of all time. It was fantastic. And um, I thought it was fantastic. I was watching it. This is the only catch. It was on this medium called cassette tape. Has anybody heard of that before? Now, I thought cassette tape was here for good. Anybody else agree with me? About six months after I bought those jolly things that cost me about $1,000, cassette tape finished forever, all right? So 
that's one of my dumb stories. And we've all done dumb things, no doubt about it. And I do want to say, actually, as we go through this series, make sure uh, we all just kind to ourselves, kind to each other. We all will have done dumb things. I've done dumb things way bigger than that with our money. There's no guilt as we walk through this series. We're all here just to learn together. So let's make sure that we do that. So what we're going to do in this series is really just uh, begin with the foundations of things. Today we're starting on the heart and money. That is so important. Such an important place to start. The heart and money. Where does things work with our heart and money? Now as the series goes on, next week uh, we'll be talking about spending. And we'll talk about things like budgets. We'll talk about investments. We'll talk about debt. What's right and what's wrong. These things are incredibly important. But first of all, we've got to get our foundations right and make sure that we get things sorted because bottom line, this stuff matters. I mean, I really mean it. This stuff matters. I think it's overdue that we do a series on how we deal with our finances in our church because this matters. It causes stress. It wrecks relationships. When you're strapped for cash, it wrecks relationships and puts pressure on people. I was just uh, with Ange Cotto. I don't know if Ange is in this service. Ange, are you here? Maybe in the second service, but... Ange is fantastic. She works with Cap um, Money, Cap Debt Centre here at our church. And I actually went along with her to visit one of her clients. And I'm telling you, I saw firsthand. Now, this is a guy, admittedly, that was sort of really down on his luck, really in a hard place. But the things I saw, I was with him for 90 minutes with Ange. The things I saw were incredible. In that 90 minutes, the phone rang about three or four times. He wouldn't even pick up the phone. He said, I know what that is. It's a debt collector continually ringing him just over and over again. His wife had left him. Admittedly, he said, because of the marriage problems we're going through. As we're having this interview, little kids are running around and he's struggling to provide for these kids. He can't get a job. He's struggling to get a job because he doesn't have a mobile phone because the, the company that had that phone have shut down the phone because he can't pay his bill. He was telling us just two days before a debt collector was knocking on his door to check out if he still got a car because they wanted to repo it. But he doesn't have that car because he's still paying it off even though it doesn't exist anymore. It's crashed. It's total. And his life is in a mess. And I'm telling you, this stuff about finances is serious. That guy's life is in real trouble. And Cap and the things that the church are doing here are helping him out big time. But if we can't get our finances sorted out and do it in a way that honours God, we're in trouble. It matters big time. So let's start with what the Bible's got to say. Um, Proverbs 22.7 says this. It's pretty much the key verse for the whole series. It says, The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. Really interesting scripture. The borrower is servant to the, to the lender. In fact, the Hebrew is uh, translated as the word ebed. And it, and it means, now by the way, you've got notes here this morning. We're doing something a little bit different just to get some learning styles going. So make sure you pick up one of those notes. You should have seen them on the seats. Maybe I think pencils were handed out or, or on the seats as well. Uh, I thought I saw that, but that's all right. Grab a pen off the person next to you. Uh, and, and you might want to fill in this as we, as we go along. But the Hebrew word there is ebed, and it means that you're a servant or you're a slave, but the fill in here is bondage is that you're somebody that's in bondage. The borrower is the one that is in debt, is in bondage to the one who has the money. Now, most people don't go around saying, oh, you know, I think pencils are being handed out now, so if you need a pencil, just wave your hand, that's cool. 
Um, you know, just to, to make it clear, most people don't go around saying, oh, I'm in, I, I'm in bondage to something. I'm in slavery to something. But I want you to think about some of the things that we say that imply the way we treat money and the way money has a hold over us, the way money has us in bondage. We say things like this, oh, I can't get married right now because I can't afford it. Now, just think about these statements. What that statement says is, I'm in bondage to money. How about this one? I would love to start a family right now, but we can't afford it. We can't do that thing. We'd love another child. We'd love for one of us to stay home with our children, but we can't do that because of our financial situation. I'd love to leave my job because I don't like my job, but I can't do it because the bills are overwhelming me. I'm overwhelmed, and so I have to do this. I'd love to do something that I feel that God might have put on my heart to do, but I can't do it because of money. And suddenly we start to see that we're enslaved to this thing called money. I'd love to go on a mission trip. I'd love to start something. I'd love to help people. I'd love to be able to give. I'd love to be able to give to the church. I'd love to be able to give an offering. What we're saying is we're strapped. We're in bondage to this thing called money. And I'd like to say it's enough of that. We've got to break free of that. Let's have a look at some of the stats that uh, relate to Australia. Some of these are amazing. The first one I th just stunned me. It shocked me. In 1986, our average household debt in Australia was 42% of our income. So what we earn in a year, 42% is about what we owe. But that was 1986. Fast forward 20 years, it's now about 156% of our income is what we owe in a year. Now you think about that, it's crazy. It's such high levels of debt, and it's become normal. If we here as a church ran the church like that, I would say that would be crazy. If what we received in a year, we owed that plus another 56%, we'd be swimming in debt, and yet now it's become normal. That's the average amount of household debt. Second thing, let's talk about credit cards, two-thirds of, uh, for Australian households, the, uh, two-thirds, the, the, the real debt, the painful debt you have is credit cards. $36 billion of worth of debt is on credit cards and the average debt is about $4,700. That's a lot of movies, right? It's a lot of shoes. It's a lot of 20% off sales. You know, it's a lot of cassette tapes and late-night TV. Here's another one, the average young person. And for that, what is a young person? Jess and I have been talking about this while we've been away. Now, a young person is somebody under the age of 35, okay? So, uh, and you might notice that Jess had a birthday while we're away, and she flipped out of that category. But it's true, according to the stats. If you're under 35, you're young, okay? But Roy Morgan tells us that $23,000 is the average debt for somebody under 35. For somebody under age 25, most people under the age of 25, they're young, carry around a $2,500 credit card debt every single year. By the way, that's $500 interest they're paying on that credit card debt that they're carrying around every single year. And here's a real serious one. One third of people in Australia, again, we look around this room, it'd be the same. One third of us together here in this room live paycheck to paycheck. In other words, if something goes wrong, we get sick and we don't have that job, we get laid off, something happens to us will be in real trouble from week to week because we live that tight. Money has control over us. We're in bondage to money. 
And it's no wonder that marriages struggle. It's no wonder there's so much tension. It's no wonder that people are strapped and we consider this normal. To us, normal is debt. Normal is car payments. Normal is credit card payments. Normal is loan payments, house payments. Normal is people divorcing over money. Normal is people lying awake at night thinking about money. Is that normal for you? That's why I believe with all my heart, and that's what this series is about, the fact that Jesus came, he did so much, he gave us so much freedom, but certainly he wanted to free us in the area of finances. When we follow Jesus, we're not called to be normal. We're called to be different. Jess is reading a book at the moment. She keeps telling me about it. It's called um, Weird. Where, where, where things are turned upside down. We live differently. And I think Jesus frees us in the areas of finances as well. And it all begins with money in the heart. God changes the heart. If you're here today and you say, oh, I, didn't, you know, I don't really want all the God stuff. Maybe you've come with a friend. I just want the practicalities. Just tell me how to do a budget. Just tell me how to pay down the debt. You know, truthfully... That stuff is out there. That stuff will help you. You will get a certain distance just doing the practicalities. But, but God says, I want to focus on the heart because the heart is an, inward, is an outward picture of the inward state of your heart. Where your money is at. If, if you show me, are you un, in bondage? Are you, are you strapped for cash? Are you in trouble? Because God would say, if that's the truth for you, no matter who you are here today, whether you've been attending this church for years and years, if it's true for you, it tells God something about the state of your heart. In fact, Scripture is loaded with powerful teaching about money and things. You know, two-thirds of all the parables in the Bible, two out of every three are about money and things. In fact, one in ten verses in the Gospels, it's amazing about this, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, one in ten verses is about money. If you read the whole book of the Bible, there's 2,300 scriptures about finances. That's five times more than prayer. Prayer is important. But five times more, it talks about money. Five times more, it talks uh, about money than it talks about faith. Now, are these other things unimportant? No way. But the scripture says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. God knows this one matters to us. So we can't be controlled by money. So let's talk about this thing, money, for a minute. I want to talk about two temptations that want to take a hold of us. The first one, writing down in these notes, the first one is we're tempted to serve money. Write that one down. We're tempted to serve money. We're tempted in one way or another to serve money. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't do it. Jesus is saying it's impossible to sort of balance those two things. It's not possible. He didn't say maybe you could do it. He didn't say, you know, um, it's a maybe. He said it's impossible. You cannot serve both God and money. It's interesting that of all the things that he could have chosen, you cannot serve both God and power. You, could, you cannot serve. This is, this is an important statement here that Jesus is making. You cannot serve both God and yourself. You cannot serve both God and your sexual desires. What does God choose? What does Jesus choose in that moment? He chooses money. 
You know, again, the other things aren't important. No, but he says, I'm picking the one that I know is going to battle more than anything else for the hearts of men and women. Us included here today. Even us that say, I follow Jesus. I'm telling you, there's going to be a battle and it will rage. And Jesus says the number one thing that the impression we get from Scripture is it's money, it's possessions. It's putting our trust in stuff in front of God. And I wonder what you think about that. I wonder if you think, oh, I don't do that. I don't put money in front of God. I'm not that sort of person. Well, let's look at some of the symptoms of this. Have you ever hoarded money and not been able to give it away? Have you ever said, that money is mine. It, it, it's not yours. Have you ever said, oh, I won't give? I'll say this. A vast majority of people here attend this church, we're up front about it. We talk about it all the time. We read it. If you read your morning devotions this morning, it's talked about how with joy they came forward and they gave. It says they gave a tithe. They gave 10%. They gave of their first fruits to God. And they did that apart from anything else to demonstrate to their heart that I put God first and I trust God. This is a freeing thing. But sometimes we hold these things back. We say, I can't do that. It's mine. It belongs to me. No way he's not getting any of mine. Maybe you won't give to somebody that's in need because you say it's my money. Have you ever cheated somebody? Cut customers out of the equation. Have you ever cheated on your tax? You cheated somebody else. Think about your life because if you do, if you have, you're somebody that has served money. Have you ever neglected your family because of the pursuit of money to get up that ladder? Have you made those sort of wrong choices in your life? It's serving money. We've got to get a grip of this. Have you ever bought something and realised that they made a mistake in your favour and not done anything about it? It's happened to me last week. It was an interesting experience. I was at Target and uh, I was on my own. Uh, I think I had the kids with me. And um, I went through the checkout and, beep, beep, the, you know, that it all sort of happened. And... Uh, and, and the price came up and it was way less than it was supposed to be. You know, and you know that moment when that happens, when you're like, well, what do I do right now? You know, I, does it ha not happen to anybody else? You know, what do I do? And I, I said to the guy, um, I knew I was preaching this week, so I had to, no, I said to the guy, not really. I said to the guy, I said, oh, God, we've got a problem here. And he went, oh, I see him like, oh, great, you know. And he looked at me and uh, I said, uh, he said, yeah. He said, oh, that's way more, uh, it's way cheaper than I expected it to be. That's, that's not the right price. And he looked at me. He said, let me understand. Like, I'm not, I kid you not. He said, it is cheaper than you expect it to be. I went, yeah. He says, then we have no problem. <laughs> that's what he said to me. And he looked at me like I was crazy, you know. With eyes like, get out of my store or something like that. About to call security or something. So I was like, awesome. You know, what am I supposed to do? I walked out, happy as anything. I've done my bit. Don't you come up and tell me I should have done something more. I've done my bit. But these are things, that symptom of the heart when you can't even deal with these small things that come our way. These big things come our way. On the sheet there, they've got little sort of got a little write-down spot. Maybe this is something you can do at home. It might be a bit awkward to do it with just a friend or, I don't know, even a relation sitting next to you. But what are the symptoms in your heart that you're serving money? 
Maybe you want to write something down now. Do, do any of those things stand true for you? Have a think about that as, as the week goes on. The second thing is, if you're taking notes, notes, we're tempted to love money. So write that one down, love. We're tempted to love money. Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's a big statement. And he goes on to say, some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. We're tempted to love money. Now, this is really important. We have to understand that money isn't good or bad. Money is not the root of all evil. Money is actually neutral. If you understand what the scripture says here, it says that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. It's the love of money that's wrong. So I'm, I guess, bringing a little bit of balance here. Because sometimes we can look at people and, and sort of judge them because they've got money. But, but let's be honest, it's, it, money is neutral. So a lot of people that don't have money would say, well, because I don't have a lot of money, I can't love money, right? But I'm not one of those people. I'm going to tell you that some of the poorest people in the world are some of the meanest people, are some of the most arrogant people, are jealous of people that have more money than them, have set their heart and their mind on ways and schemes and means of getting more money. Just because you don't have a lot of money doesn't mean you love money. Don't love money. And the flip side to that is if you're wealthy, if you see somebody who's rich, just because they have a lot of money, someone, oh, look at them, they've got a lot of money, they must love money. That's ridiculous. Have you, have you seen those people? That doesn't mean that they love money. It might mean that they're good with money, that they steward money well, that they're careful with money, that they invest their money, that they don't spend more than they get. That's the sort of people that they are. It doesn't necessarily mean that they love money. Money is neutral. It's how you use it that matters. One indicator of loving money is thinking, if I just had more money, all my problems would be solved. Has anybody thought that? A few of us put our hands up at the beginning. If I just had more money, all my problems would be solved. What does money do? Money generally just magnifies things. That's what money does. Have you ever seen people that win the lottery? Some people win the lottery and three years later they're, they're bankrupt again because it didn't change anything about their life. They didn't have the disciplines to go along with it. It magnifies it. If you're a poor jerk and you get a whole lot of money, what does that make you? A rich jerk. Correct. Just a bigger rich jerk because you've got a lot of money. You're one of those people that you're pointing, yeah, rich jerk, you know? But if you're generous when you're poor, when you don't have a lot of money and you get money, you'll be more generous when you have more money. Money magnifies things. Money is neutral. Money is just a part of the process. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, whoever loves money never has enough money. I find that scripture challenging. I, don't, I won't get a show of hands for that one. Whoever loves money never has enough money. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. And the writer there says, this too is meaningless. Here's the reality. A lot of us are under the power of money in our life. And what are the signs that you're serving money or loving money? Remember all of those little symptoms that we talk about. Remember, though, at the heart of it all is the heart. Here's one other sign. It's a bold statement. It's generally true. For most of us, it's not about how much we make. It's about how much we spend. Most of it's not about how much we make it's, not, it's about how much we spend. What am I talking about there? It's our lifestyle that puts us into bondage. 
It's our lifestyle that makes us slaves to money. Real simple point here is that sometimes we just spend more than we have. And when we do that, we're saying something again. It's a, it's a picture externally of what's going on inside of us. Because outside, we're spending more than we have. What that says is inside is I put my trust in things, in money, in materials. And if I look good, what other people think about me? That says a lot about who you are as a person, what's going on inside of you. Maybe you came today and said, just fix it. Just help me sort it out. We saw the Cap Money course advertised a little bit earlier. Those courses have great practicalities about them. They actually talk a little bit about the heart as well. Today, I just want to start as we talk about the heart. And by the way, I beg you to come back week after week because each week follows the next one. Next week, we talk a lot more practically. But keep coming back. Don't miss a week. Sort out this issue in your own life. But at the end of the day, we've got to put Christ first. Because when we've got him at the center of our life, we can make choices that are wise choices in our life. Again, you might want to look at the sheet there. I think there's a spot for the question of, do you love money? What are the symptoms that you love money? Maybe you want to jot something down now or take that sheet home. Do that later. Ask some questions. You get one life, one chance to get these things right with God's help. And it's our prayer that we would say, those of us here that are saying, I'm strapped, I'm in bondage, that we put our hands up together and say, God, I need your help. I'm sick of fighting about money. I'm sick of climbing the ladder so I get more money in my life. I'm sick of not being able to do the things that God has asked me to do. Step out of that normal mold and say, God, I want to do it your way. I want to do it that, that, that way that Jesus would have me do it. And here's a really key thought for today. If you follow Christ, we don't serve money, we serve God. If you follow Christ, we don't serve money, we serve God. You can write that down. In fact, money serves us as we serve God. How does that happen? Again, just a few little examples of how money is neutral. Here's one example. Just three weeks ago, I was in Papua New Guinea. Now, the way I got to Papua New Guinea was because this church, people in this church, gave generously to the missions work of this church. And we allocated a small amount of that, just a small amount, to having a look at what are the future opportunities for us as a church. So I went to Papua New Guinea to have a look with my own eyes, not to hear the stories, but to see with my own eyes what that was like. And in that case, money served us. A little um, while back, a friend of ours rang up and said, I want to pay for house cleaning for our house. And that freed Jess up big time to be able to do a whole lot of different things, to be able to work more on the church. That person used money to bless somebody else. The people that have just got back from Ethiopia, they've served in a third world country. They've helped. They've built a playground. They've made children's lives better in that country. No one here would say they were serving money. They used money. See, money can be neutral, but we need to get a grip of it. We need to allow money or make money serve us. We need to make sure that we've got room in the way we live so that it serves us so we're not in bondage to this thing called money. The most important thing, though, is that you serve God and that the money then serves you. You're serving God. You see somebody who needs a blessing, you can give it to them. Money serves you as you give to them. You hear vision put out. Hey, catalyst, 
They have got a vision for the future. Good things are happening. You're saying, yes, I can serve God with the money that he's given me in my life. Jess and I have been down this road, I'm sure many people have, but have really come into grips with this. And I want to invite uh, Jess up now just to share just a five-minute sort of glimpse of our walk just in the last couple of years of how we've had to come through in this issue of money. I think, um, I think this issue is one you have to grapple with continually. And um, the story I'm going to share with you is, is really about my job. And I trained as a speech pathologist many years ago now. And um, I remember through uni and through my first few years of working, I remember thinking, okay, God, this is going to be secondary, this job. I don't want to hold it so tight that I'll never give it up, that, I'll, that I won't hear your voice in terms of what you want for my life. I remember saying that. But it's interesting how life goes on and, um, you know, Carl quit the other workforce to become a pastor. So our income changed. We wanted to have babies. Our income changed. And I had a good job. I had, I had a job at the hospital, um, government job, speech pathologist, paid well. had a great um, boss who was very flexible and family friendly. So um, I had a great, great job. And it, I found it interesting how my kind of clutch on my job kind of just started subconsciously to become a real thing in my life. And, um, you know, still we still had babies. I went on maternity leave and, you know, we just managed our finances accordingly. But looking back, I really think I, I knew always that I had, this, I had this job, I had this security, I had this good wage that I could pretty much work with as I wanted. I could pretty much say to my boss, right, I want 10 months maternity leave or I want to come back two days a week. Is that cool? And she'd say, yep, let's just do it. So I could kind of control my finances and how we worked them um, in that respect. So, you know, I had, I had that going on for a long time and um, I, about two years ago, I was sitting in a conference and I remember just being floored. I was watching a um, presentation. Of a, it was a professor, a professor in Egypt. She was a professor at a university and God had spoken to her and told her to go work in the slums, give up her job and go work in the slums. And I sat there going... God, how, do you, how would you know that that was you speaking to them? You know, how did she so clearly hear your voice and know that that was the right thing? And in that instant, uh, God said to me, now is the time. Do you remember that promise you said to me that you would let go of your work, that you would release it, that it was secondary? Now is the time I want you to put that into practice. And I was just floored. I was just in tears and sobbing. And um, more that God was speaking to me personally, giving me a real clear indication of where to go. Um, he spoke to me, he didn't speak to Carl. So we had to go home and have a real good discussion about that and it wasn't easy. It, it, as I said, it was, a, it was a kind of, I felt my job was kind of keeping us afloat in, in a lot of ways. Not that we were struggling without it, but it was giving us extras and perks and things and to give it up was a real struggle. And it wasn't so much, so much a loss of money, it was a loss of security. To give it up, to not have it anymore, to not be able to, be able to go back to it whenever I wanted was a massive thing in my head. So we had a lot of conversations about that over a period of time and just felt, though, that, you know, this is God talking to us quite clearly and the Bible promises over, us, over and over again that he will not, um, you know, he, he loves the sparrows and, and in the field and he dresses the world beautifully, he's going to look after us. So we just went, okay, this is a step, it's a big step, but let's do it, let's resign. So I went to my boss and I said to her, God's told me to quit. <laughs> Which she thought, she just looked at me. She knew I was a Christian. She looked at me and she just went, 
okay, <laughs> let's do that. And, um, I, you know, I wanted, I didn't want to uh, pay it out, um, uh, what, am, what am I saying? I didn't want my money, my long service leave paid out all at once. So I said, okay, I'm going to resign, but can you please just keep me on the books and let's pay my money out till the end of financial year and then I'm done, I'm out of here. She said, yep, let's do that, that's, that's fine. So we did that, I stopped work, I resigned. I had it clear in my head, I'd resigned. We'd um, budgeted accordingly to that, knowing that this income that was coming in still fairly regularly was gonna stop, and then we'd have to change things. And, um, you know, we adapted, we, we did all right, didn't we? we? We kind of pulled back in a lot of areas, we had to redo our budget, and we just, we just knew that God would provide for us where, where we needed it. And we got to, um, I got to June and then July, and I didn't hear, hear anything from my work, and, August, and I rang her and I said, okay, is it time for me to like officially resign? She said, oh, about that. Um, change of government, they're slashing jobs all over the place. If you resign, we're gonna lose your position. So can you not resign? And I said, but I don't wanna work. She said, yeah, that's okay, just hold a job. Just, and when, it gets, when the climate's a bit better, then you can resign. I said, yeah, but I just wanna get rid of it. So I got to that place. And she said, no, can you not do that, please? I went, oh, okay, all right, fine. So we got to the end of the year, Still hadn't worked. At the end of the year, she rang me up and she said, oh, you know that job you've got? I need you to work in it, otherwise <laughs> we're gonna lose it. And I said, but I've resigned. And she's like, yeah, can you just think about maybe coming back four hours a week, just so we've got someone in that position? So this is kind of what I'm talking about. This, you have to constantly look at your money. You know, we had kind of let go of that. I, I processed through this whole, okay, letting go of this security that I really found in my job, but 18 months, 15 months later, God kind of brought us to a new place and said, all right, here's an opportunity, four hours a week. You know, what are you going to do with it? And so we then had to have further discussions on, you know, are we going back? Are we not? Are we not doing what God has called us to do if I go back to work? You know, how is this going to work? Are we, are we, do we not have enough faith if I go back to work? What is it like? And in that place, 15 months later, we decided, you know what? The kids are a bit older. Things are a bit different. We can manage four hours a week. So I went back to work four hours a week and I've been doing that all year. Now just recently they've come to me and said, you pretty much got to work four days or nothing at all. So yet again, we're having we've had the discussion when we've decided, look, I can't work four days a week. Because it's going to crowd our life if I do that. So we've made the decision when I quit my job, you know, in my head, I quit my job. Um, that was a real process for us in terms of, I think, simplifying our lives and really stepping out of the security and the comfort um, of having this income coming in and just going, okay, God, we want to make things simple. We want to put our kids first for us. We want to put our kids first. And that means I need to be home for them in the afternoons, in the mornings, not rushing about and pressuring ourselves. We've got a lot on at church. We're going to simplify our lives and really focus. And we really felt we could still do that when the opportunity came up for four hours a week, for four days. That's just not going to work for us. So um, if they continue to put on the pressure, then I will quit and I'll be happy to do that. But for the time being, you know, God has blessed us with this extra little bit of income. It's working well. And I'm, I actually think I'm, I'm being an influence in that workplace at the moment. Um, but just in September, we journaled out of Luke and it says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this is what I wrote. The way Jesus speaks here is quite gentle, like he knows that this is a tough area for all of us. 
But he also reminds us that God has given us the kingdom, so we need to put our finances into perspective. Finances are temporary. God's kingdom is eternal. And yet we strive to build temporary wealth and struggle to part with it. Do we strive just as much to build our eternal wealth? And I feel like for us, that's the journey that God has put us on. You know, where, where is our security? Where is our hope? And um, like I said at the beginning, I think it's a struggle that we all have continually. Like you'll feel like you've got on top of this um, idol or this uh, loving money or whatever. And you might for a season, but then things change and God will bring you to the point again. Okay, let's just look at that again. How are things going now in this season? Where do we need to adjust things? And so I think that's our challenge to not think, that, okay, we've taken this step and we're all good now. We're all good, God. Got it sorted. Got that idol sorted. God will bring us around again. It's like, how is it now? How are you going with this? But very gently. But I think our perspective always needs to be on eternal things, you know, building into our lives, our children, our relationship with Jesus. That is what will last forever. Is that what you wanted? <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. You did a good job. The way she said that, it just leaves the question, was that all a lie, isn't it? It's just a whole big lie. She just works five days a week. No, it's uh, all, all true. And you know, we had to really work hard. We spent maybe probably a full day on our holidays just where we sat down and had another look at our finances that were living within our income and how we budget that. And we have to talk about these things as the weeks go on. But you know what? It gives you freedom. And uh, I don't have time this morning. I could talk about the incredible ways that God blessed us in that season and continues continues to bless us because he's good. Romans 13, 8 says this. It says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. I love that scripture. What is it talking about there? Because according to the Bible, when I read that scripture, love is the main thing. You see, this is it again. God turns it all upside down. Jesus turns it upside down and he says because of what I've done for you and let's just refresh ourselves and what he's done he paid a debt that we couldn't pay Jesus came he died a death on a cross for our sin a debt that we can't pay and that frees us forever it's impossible to pay back that debt we're in trouble it's a debt that would have lasted for eternity but he pays it back and we can receive it from him and in gratitude to him, what does he say? He doesn't say, go and work really hard. Invest your money really well. Get a second job. Make sure you're thriving here on this earth. He says, there's one thing that I want you to do, and it's to love each other. You see, this is the, the, the words that Jesus now uses. He changes it around. He says, I, I could care almost less about some of the other stuff, but are you loving each other? Because there's one debt that you've got to make sure is still in his, in his ex existence. And the question is for us today the same. Are you loving people? You know, just forget the rest. Is love something that people would look at you and say, that person's a loving person. I go near that person, they love. They pour out love on me. Because if it's not true of your life, then maybe you're enamored to, to money. Maybe... You're in love with money. Maybe you're serving money. But Jesus came to set us free from that stuff. He came so that we can live a different life. He came so that we can say no to opportunities, perhaps when they come, because he's leading us a different way. What is God saying to you about your financial world? Are you serving money? 
Are you loving money? Make sure that you're trusting God in your own life. 1 Timothy 6.17 says this. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. See, God's not a mean-spirited God. He richly provides for our enjoyment. Just and I could tell you story on story of, of God's provision in our life, of the enjoyment we receive because he's in our life. But I'll tell you what money is so uncertain. Anyone here has just got an eye on the news at the moment? Who's watching what's happening in the US? I mean, they're saying within a week or two weeks, the world could be in a major crisis. Finances are uncertain. And, and just to say it, I don't think that will happen. We all think saner heads will prevail. But money is uncertain. Times come and go. God is certain. And he calls out for us today to realign our hearts on him again, to trust him again with the finances and the money and the things that we have in this life. I want you to ask that question. Maybe you need to slap yourself a little bit, shake yourself, have a look at those questions during the week and say, you know what? There's a part of my life where I'm serving money. And I, and, I, and I want things from God. Instead of just serving God, I serve God and allowing that good Father to, to provide richly for the needs that I have in my life. So as we would often say, really, there's two groups of people possibly here today. Maybe you're a believer and, um, you know, it is just simply your time to repent again. Just said sometimes this idol crops up. We don't even know it. I don't even know that sometimes we've been worshipping this thing. Maybe it's your superannuation fund that you've been watching day by day, worshipping that as if that thing is going to provide for you. That thing is the thing that's in, in charge of your life. Maybe you need to repent just here in this moment. Say, God, I worship you. God, I trust you with my life. And once again, I align my life with you and I'll be obedient to you. But for those that perhaps haven't committed their life to Christ, I'd say, well, definitely repent of that infatuation with money. Turn your back on it. But more than anything, come to Christ, the liver, the giver of life, the one that gives us freedom. He changes us. He transforms our heart. And he says, follow me and I'll give you life and life eternal and life on this earth. All of us here together, let's focus again on the one that matters. The true God and that true King. And I would just challenge you all to take this challenge into the week as we go on. And as we come back and as we start to talk about practicalities in the weeks that flow on after this, make sure you've got that heart right with God. Let's pray together. Father, I just pray. This morning, your, your spirit would be ministering to us, God, that your spirit would speak and challenge each and every one of us. God, there is one thing that is certain in this life, and that is you. God, you're the one thing that we can trust. And so we put our trust in you, and we, and, and we put our hope in you, God. And Lord, we turn our back on the things that we've been trusting, jobs and success, and these other things that clamor to get in the way of you. Lord, we trust you and we put those things behind and we repent of them. And Lord, I just pray for anybody here today who has not made that faith decision 
to come before you and have that eternal debt removed, that sin debt. God, we, I pray that they would have that courage to, to step out in faith and receive Jesus Christ here. Even on this morning, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name.